Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Understanding the Affordable Care Act, or ACA, for people living with cancer. This is um, a program that we have been very excited about offering, and you all have responded to this program with great um, enthusiasm, I must say. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 1,338 participants. So this is a very large uh, teleconference, conference call, and um, we have um, participants from all over the United States, from all different regions of the United States. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, Korea, South Africa, the United Kingdom, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. So the program has um, a global interest as well, and I, I'm delighted to have all of you on the call today. Um, it speaks to your uh, being information seekers and wanting to know more about, about the Affordable Care Act. This program is made possible by an educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline Oncology. This program was made possible also by a grant from Celgene Corporation. And I want to thank uh, both of these companies for their support of this uh, program and for the collaboration on this program. And we will be doing another program like this in the beginning of 2013 as well. So there will be another part to this program as well. So stay tuned. Um, and uh, we have uh, uh, sent you materials from Cancer Care, and some of those materials include information about our speakers and the topics they'll be covering, information about all of our collaborating organizations as resources for you, and there is an evaluation form. And I ask all of you to take a moment at the end of the program today and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the programs that you would like us to offer. Indeed, this particular program and this two-part series that we're going to be offering on it is really a, a program that many of you have asked us to um, do a program on this topic. And we try very hard to implement your suggestions. We're going into a new year, um, and actually we, uh, it's a perfect time for you to make recommendations. So tell us what you want, and we'll try very hard to implement your suggestions. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today. I'd like to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker um, is Dr. Katie Horton. And Dr. Horton is a lawyer by profession. Um, and also a nurse, and she's a research professor at George Washington University, Department of Health Policy, School of Public Health and Health, Health Services. And Dr. Horton is going to really pr provide you with an overview of the Affordable Care Act, its key provisions, current and upcoming, and the major benefits of the Affordable Care Act. And I'm going to now turn this program over to our esteemed colleague, Dr. Horton. Terrific. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. Um, uh, great to be with you all today, and uh, I'll tell you, this is a very large and complicated law, so certainly welcome the opportunity to talk with you about it. Um, uh, we will be covering just some of the basics today, and we'll look forward to the, um, the, the second uh, teleconference call. Before I begin, let me give you first a website that I think will be important. Um, uh, the website will repeat it a couple of times throughout the call is uh, www.com healthcare.gov. 
www.healthcare.gov with no spaces. And this is the uh, government's website for health reform and contains an awful lot of important information and resources for you. As you may know, as you do know, the Affordable Care Act became law in 2010. This is the law of the land now, and I think folks are really just beginning to focus on what it means for, for them and their care. In my mind, there's really no more compelling case for health reform than cancer treatment uh, and, and survivorship. Um, cancer treatment is complicated, it's expensive. Um, folks need better coordinated care and better access to health insurance options than they've had in the past. And the Affordable Care Act, I believe, uh, uh, offers this. Um, important to take a quick look at, at what our health care system has been. At the time of passage of this law, we had about 50 million, 50 million without coverage, health insurance coverage. We had a very unstable insurance market and uh, one that discriminated against folks who needed care, uh, oftentimes those with cancer. If you uh, didn't have uh, good health insurance through your employer and had to purchase it, sometimes you were discriminated against and unable to get it. And if you could, uh, it at times was so expensive you probably couldn't afford it. The care at times was uncoordinated and, and not as high quality as it, as it could be. Um, and so I think all of these challenges even intensify for those who are um, perhaps less educated, poor, uninsured, or underinsured. Um, so very important law and uh, will affect all of us. The Affordable Care Act has four primary goals. The first is to expand coverage in, in two big ways. Um, the first is to expand Medicaid, which many of you know is our program that exists today for low-income individuals and families. The second way that the law expands coverage is by offering new state health insurance exchanges. This is a new word probably for many of you, but an important one to know. If you've ever purchased your travel insurance on a website through a site like Travelocity uh, that compares prices and offerings, a state exchange is a bit like that, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, more in just a minute. The second goal is to improve the fairness, quality, and affordability of health insurance coverage. Uh, the third goal, to improve health care value and efficiency. Um, by testing a number of new models of care. Uh, and the fourth goal is to strengthen primary care access and prevention and does a, an awful lot in this area. Um, I do want to mention that regardless of these new coverage opportunities, um, uh, there are estimates that believe that still up to 30 million people will remain uninsured. So while it's a helpful law, it may not um, uh, be everything we need. So how do we get there? Um, it's really based on the shared responsibility model. Beginning in 2014, um, most individuals will be required to obtain insurance coverage or pay a penalty unless they have a religious objection or face a financial hardship. Also in 2014, large employers, those with 50 or more employees, will be subject to fees if they don't offer affordable coverage. And uh, any employees that receive subsidized coverage through these new health insurance exchanges um, uh, there'll be a penalty for those employers. So what you've heard about and read about in the paper, um, I think is, is sort of a bridge between now and 2014. There are a number of provisions that, that go into effect between now and when these new coverage options exist in 2014. So I thought we'd focus just a little bit on the, um, some of the new protections that the law will give you. 
Starting in 2010, the new law um, in some of the worst insurance company abuses and provides important new benefits. Um, it will prohibit insurance companies from refusing coverage uh, to or limiting the benefits of, of children up to the age of 19 because of pre-existing and medical conditions. It prohibits all insurance plans from putting lifetime caps on the dollar amount that they'll spend on benefits. It prohibits all insurance plans from canceling your coverage because of an unintentional mistake or on an application. It prohibits new insurance plans from denying coverage for needed care without a chance to appeal to an outside party. And uh, one of our other speakers today will, will go into more detail on that. It um, requires plans to cover recommended preventive services, a really important factor, including things like mammograms and colonoscopies and immunizations, uh, and all of these without um, uh, cost sharing um, from, from the patient. It ensures coverage of services provided by an emergency room, even if it's not in your network of care. Um, so that's important. I do want to caution you that some of these new protections um, don't apply to something called grandfathered plans. And this is a term that refers to health insurance that was in place at the time the law passed. Without going into a lot of detail here, I encourage you to reach out to your uh, health insurer to determine whether it's a grandfathered plan or not. There are also a number of new consumer assistance programs that are being funded in each of the states. You can get more information at the website I gave you earlier, www.healthcare.gov. But these uh, consumer assistance programs will also be helpful to you in that regard. Over the next few years, new policies will be in place to improve consumer options and, and help contain costs. I just want to mention a few. Um, the Medicare Part D uh, prescription drug, drug coverage has been very helpful to many, but there is a donut hole. Uh, that's what some people call it, or a gap in coverage. Um, this uh, new law, the Affordable Care Act, will help close that gap and give you access to um, uh, discounts on uh, brand name prescription drugs and even some generics. The law creates an important new program, the Pre-existing Condition Insurance Plan, uh, to make health coverage available to you if you're uninsured or if you've been denied health insurance by insurance companies because of a pre-existing condition. Uh, about 27 states have the pre-existing condition insurance plan um, in place, and it's, it's a bridge that allows coverage before these other new coverage options that I described earlier are in place in 2014. So if you're in search of coverage, there's some um, constraints around it, but, but would encourage you to look at the website again for more information. Young adults are able to remain on their parents' health plan until they turn 26, and that's certainly very important for those with cancer. Uh, the law requires insurance companies to publicly disclose and justify unreasonable premium increases. Um, and uh, uh, in 2014, there'll be new tax credits that will help uh, middle-class families afford health insurance. Medicaid will be extended to folks with low incomes um, uh, up to 14,000 for an individual or about 29,000 for a family of four. Let's talk a bit about these two important coverage options. Again, it is the uh, new insurance exchanges and the Medicaid expansion. The health insurance exchanges are new markets for individuals and small business and groups. So it really is focusing just on individuals and small businesses to start. Um, there's an option for larger businesses to come into the system later on, but not until several years after it's set up. 
So if you have Medicare now or if you have large group insurance through your employer right now, uh, much of that won't change. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, again, is really trying to help with some of these uh, uh, small business and individual um, uh, challenges. But the uh, insurance exchanges, um, one-stop shopping for insurance products that will meet certain federal, state, federal and state standards. Um, these plans that will be able to, that will be offered through the exchanges are called qualified health plans. The exchanges will be set up at the state level and they're expected to assure quality of coverage and provide information in, about uh, benefits and enrollment out to, to folks who are interested in purchasing. Um, right now, states are telling the federal government whether they intend to set up their own state exchange. If they don't, the federal government will will step in and provide a federal exchange uh, in that state. And so a lot of big decisions happening right now. Subsidies will be offered for folks who want to buy, for certain folks who want to buy uh, insurance through this exchange. Premium subsidies are available for individuals and families uh, with certain incomes. For example, um, for individuals, if your income is, a, is about 11,000, um, you would be eligible for subsidies all the way up to 43,000. And again, more information on that website about the, the subsidies available. Each of these qualified health plans that will be sold in the exchange will have to provide something called the Essential Health Benefit Package. Um, the, the Essential Health Benefit Package will reflect what, they, what HHS, the Health and Human Services, folks uh, call standard employer-sponsored plans or standard employer-sponsored coverage. So they want these plans to look like typical employer coverage. Um, there are 10 broad categories of coverage within the essential health plan, so things that you might think that, you're, that you might get through a large employer, things like coverage for ambulatory patient services and emergency services, hospitalization, um, uh, mental health and substance use services, and a number of, of categories there. Um, right now, um, as of yesterday, uh, 18 states have, have declared that they're going to set up their state exchanges, um, and six have, are undecided with 21 um, saying that they'd like the federal government to come in and set up the exchange and, and have the federal exchange work in their state. So lots of information to come on the exchanges. The second big form of coverage that we've mentioned is Medicaid. And the Affordable Care Act fundamentally restructures Medicaid to allow states to cover all non-elderly, non-disabled citizens, and legal U.S. residents with family incomes uh, below uh, something that's measured on a, on a scale, a federal scale. But it's about $30,000 for a family of four um, you'd be able to opt into this. Um, I do want to mention the Supreme Court, is, as I suspect most of you know, um, did um, rule on this Medicaid expansion, and so it is now an option for states. We don't know um, the number of states that will expand, um, and so you'll have to check carefully with your each individual state to, to know about that. Um, let's see. So again, the exchanges and the Medicaid expansion will be in place in 2014. Um, one note on the Medicaid expansion, there is an option for states to expand early. For example, in the District of Columbia, where I am today, uh, they have expanded 
their Medicaid program early before 2014. So again, just check with your, with your state to know where that stands. I do want to mention a, a couple of other things. Um, clinical trials, an important provision in the Affordable Care Act. Beginning in 2014, routine medical costs um, must be covered for all individuals who are participating in clinical trials. Um, I think there's still some question about the traditional Medicaid program and the extent to which it will um, uh, be affected. Um, but, but in general, routine costs uh, will have to be covered uh, for, for most plans. And these are things that include, you know, those costs typically covered for an individual not enrolled in a clinical trial. Um, the cost for the specific investigational item or services uh, will not be uh, provided or uh, will be excluded from um, the coverage of this law. But we do know that, of course, a number of um, private companies help pay for, for, for that piece of it. Importantly, insurers will be prohibited from dropping or limiting coverage for participants in cancer uh, clinical trials. Just to wrap up here, a couple of considerations just to put out there. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier there will be 25 or 30 million likely to remain uninsured. So, so we need to be mindful of that as we think about these programs and the implementation of them. Uh, what states will expand Medicaid the, with the optional um, um, with the option being given post a Supreme Court ruling. Um, there were a number of uh, cuts to the Medicare program in terms of provider reimbursement, and so I think we're watching that to see what, what sort of impact that might have. A big question on, on people's mind is, is whether this essential benefits package offered in the new exchanges, whether that will actually provide adequate cancer prevention treatment and other services, and folks are, are watching that carefully. Um, End-of-life care is not addressed in the Affordable, Cac Affordable Care Act in any way, and, and uh, I think that's something that folks care quite a bit about. Um, and I think with that, um, I will turn it over to the next speaker. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fortin, for really taking on this yeoman's um, overview of the Affordable Care Act, giving us some context, and also providing everyone with also a website which we'll repeat actually throughout the program so people have access to uh, www.healthcare.gov um, and we'll repeat that throughout so you'll be able to um, access that for additional information. Now our next speaker is, uh, is uh, Deborah Wolf and Deborah Wolf is an attorney. She's Senior Attorney Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group or NILAG. And um, Deborah Wolf has spoken on many of our programs, and she's going to address the legal protections of the Affordable Care Act, the importance of knowing your rights, and the appeals process. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Deborah Wolf. Thank you, Dr. Messner. As Dr. Horton discussed, the Affordable Care Act contains many legal protections with the goals of putting the consumer back in charge of their health coverage and removing insurance company barriers between patients and their doctors. The Act also contains a Patient's Bill of Rights that sets forth these new protections under the law. Uh, Dr. Horton gave a very thorough overview of the list of protections under the Bill of Rights, and I'm going to speak about a few more in a little more detail. I want to first focus on how the Act guarantees your right to appeal any adverse decisions by your insurance company and expands your rights to ask that your plan reconsider any denials of payment 
insurance policies vary, as do the medical needs of patients, and there's times when insurance companies deny treatment coverage for a variety of reasons, including lack of medical necessity. There's always been some method to appeal a healthcare decision, whether you have a group policy, an individual policy, Medicare or Medicaid, and the rules vary depending on the type of coverage and will continue to do so. Although some states have had a right to what's called an external or independent review of an insurance company decision, the Affordable Care Act now provides consumers in all states with the right to appeal decisions made by their health insurance company to an outside, objective, and independent panel, no matter where you live and what type of health insurance you have. Health plans must comply with the state external review process, and if the plan's not governed by state law, such as with certain self-insured policies, it must implement an effective external review process that meets minimum established standards. So how does this help consumers, and what should be done when the claim is denied? When an insurance company issues a denial, the first step is always to call the insurance company right away to discuss. Claims are sometimes denied for administrative reasons that are easy to fix. For example, the doctor wrote the wrong code or an incorrect policy number. But if this isn't successful, you have the right to file an internal appeal directly to your insurance company. And this is when you ask your company to determine if its first decision to deny coverage was a correct one. The problem is that there's a conflict of interest and that the company paying for the coverage is also making the decision. Even so, a good percentage of of appeals to insurance companies are approved. Under the Affordable Care Act, your insurance company must conduct a full and fair review of its decision, and if the case is urgent, your insurance company must speed up this process. If your insurance company denies your internal appeal, you'll then have the right to the external review. So an external review happens if your insurance company upholds its decision to deny coverage and you continue to believe the denial was an error. In the external review, you request that somebody outside the plan make a determination. This means that independent medical professionals with no financial stake in the claim make the decision and the insurance company no longer gets final say over many benefit decisions. It also means that patients and doctors have more control over health care. The external reviews can be expedited if it's an urgent matter, and if the external reviewer overturns your insurance company's denial, then they must either give you the payment or the services that you requested in your claim. With most policies, the first internal appeal is to the insurance company, and that's required before filing a lawsuit. And if somebody tries to go to court without first filing an appeal with their insurance company, that claim would be dismissed. The Affordable Care Act now requires insurance companies to follow strict deadlines for responding to all appeals and requests. And if they do not, consumers can go to court even without an appeal decision in certain circumstances. When you request an internal appeal, your plan must give you its decision within the following time limits, 72 hours after receiving your request, when you're appealing the denial of a claim for urgent care, and in some circumstances for urgent care, you may have the right to file an external review simultaneously with the appeal to your insurance company, 
30 days for denials of non-urgent care you have not yet received, and 60 days for denials of service you have already received. Here are some of the other legal protections under the Affordable Care Act. You have the right to information about why a claim or coverage has been denied. Health plans and insurance companies have to tell you why they decided to deny your claim with very specific information, and many plans require the insurance company to provide a full copy of your claim file to you so you can request a copy of their notes, any medical reviews that were made by um, doctors that work with the insurance company, a, a full copy of your file. Um, As Dr. Horton mentioned, another important Affordable Care Act protection will be expanded consumer assistance. This is important because health insurance policies can be difficult to understand. The Act requires that states designate an independent office of health insurance consumer assistance that will respond to inquiries and complaints by consumers and help file complaints and appeals. How much these new rules will change your current appeal rights depends a lot on the state where you live and the type of plan you have. However, all levels of the internal appeals process um, must be completed with the timelines that I mentioned earlier. Similar but separate rights regarding appeals will apply to Medicaid and Medicare and other government-sponsored programs, although those haven't been clearly established as of yet. Understanding your rights and responsibilities under this and other applicable laws is important. As difficult and tedious as it may be, it's important to read your health care proxy, your health care policy, so that you understand your coverage, what's required of you, and any deadlines that are imposed. Even with the Affordable Care Act, appeal deadlines are strict, so make sure to read your explanation of benefits from your insurance company and respond on time. It's often difficult to keep on top of insurance matters with so much else going on, but these new protections, as well as the Consumer Assistance Program, will expand your rights and help you navigate any insurance issues or questions that come up. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, uh, actually, um, Deborah Wolf, this is a wonderful presentation, lots of good information for everybody, and really uh, very helpful um, in terms of the appeals process and just understanding more about one's rights. So I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. Um, our next speaker is Dr. Patricia Gans. Uh, Dr. Gans is Professor UCL UCLA Schools of Medicine and Public Health, Division of Cancer Prevention and Control Research, Johnson Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Dr. Gans is going to address cancer and the cost of cancer treatments and how the Affordable Care Act impacts the care of people living with cancer. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Gans. Thank you, uh, Carolyn. Um, you know, cancer is a very complicated disease, and we've already heard about very complicated legislation. But I want to take a fairly pragmatic um, approach here in discussing this. Um, when a person is diagnosed with cancer, it can be very overwhelming in terms of trying to understand what the diagnosis is, um, speaking with many physicians and other healthcare providers about what the treatment options are. And then a treatment plan is made for that patient. And often because they've only been aware of their condition for a few weeks, um, they may not have all of the information and all the resources available 
to even think about the financial impact of the disease and its treatment. And what has happened in the last 10 to 15 years in terms of both the therapeutic advances and technological advances is that the cost of cancer care has uh, grown enormously uh, faster than many other aspects of the healthcare budget. We have many new and exciting targeted therapies. These are complicated drugs uh, to develop. Um, they hold great promise for um, getting at the cancer in a much more specific way than some of our prior treatments with chemotherapy, um, but they have been very expensive to develop, and the pharmaceutical companies are very interested in um, retaining their um, profits uh, from their investments in developing these drugs. Um, so what happens to the patient is often a course of treatment is prescribed or recommended to them. They may have many different imaging tests as part of this. And the bills and the costs of this, um, and particularly their out-of-pocket costs, only become apparent weeks and months after. Um, and healthcare is somewhat unusual in that you go into your treatments without knowing fully um, what is actually going to be paid for by your health insurance plan, what your copayments may be, be, and it's not until after the fact that you actually find out that you may have quite a bit to pay um, that isn't covered by your health insurance. So not only is it expensive for the health insurance company uh, to pay for this care, but a lot of um, the copayments and out-of-pocket costs to the patient are growing and expanding. So one of the issues that cancer patients face is uh, understanding um, how much they will have to invest of their own time and money out of pocket uh, to receive the quality care that they have been recommended. And this will vary depending on what kind of insurance plan coverage you have, whether it's an HMO or a Medicare Advantage, which might cover everything without you having to think about it, versus um, a PPO plan or a Medicare plan where you may have may or may not have a Medigap policy, uh, where you will out of pocket um, perhaps have to be paying 20% of a monthly treatment that could be $20,000. And these are very expensive uh, costs for the patient. Um, so these are some of the challenges. One of the ways to uh, address this as a patient is if you are being recommended a course of treatment for a particular condition, is to ask your doctor, is this the treatment, only treatment that's available? Are there other treatments that may be equally effective? And to look at the costs of the various treatment regimens. And increasingly, the oncology community and the insurance industry that is working with providers and patients are really looking comparatively across different treatment regimens that are all evidence-based um, to, to look at both the comparative benefits of the treatment, the toxicities of the treatment, and the differences in cost. And these may be enormous. Uh, some regimens for lung cancer may cost, say, $3,000 a month, and others may cost eight dollars or $10,000 a month with very little difference. Um, in benefits. So being more um, transparent in identifying both the costs and the benefits of therapy and what the patient may have to pay um, for their care is becoming uh, an area that um, those of us doing work in this field would like to uh, help facilitate. Now, um, those are very, very important challenges because people want to get the treatment that they need, but they may not be able to afford it. And to some extent, the Affordable Care Act will help with that uh, for some individuals, certainly for those who do not have insurance now or with the donut hole that we talked about earlier, the gap in Medicare Part D. But even so, there are likely to be co-payments that will go along with this. 
the other things that I think we can look for in the Affordable Care that are very Affordable Care Act that are very important uh, for patients and survivors is that um, often insurance is is tied to your employment, and often patients who have been diagnosed with cancer or even long-term survivors may lose their insurance. So the ability to purchase insurance that might be affordable on the insurance exchanges, uh, or if one um, qualifies for the new Medicaid expansion, um, these are going to be very important benefits where we've had very little to offer patients previously. The elimination of pre-existing conditions, again, very important for individuals who are long-term survivors um, who uh, may be cured of their disease, but because of discrimination in the past, were not able to purchase insurance at a reasonable rate. And uh, so these will be all important issues. I also just wanted to spend a minute about what's going on with the healthcare system and its transformation, which is to develop better models of healthcare delivery, particularly with an emphasis on primary care, uh, accountable care organizations, health systems that are working hard to do health promotion and disease prevention and not just react to um, symptoms and advanced disease. And as our healthcare system transforms as part of different aspects of payment reform that will be occurring with the Affordable Care Act, and the realization that we need to think about um, doing prevention uh, and health promotion in patients, and that includes survivors and, and cancer patients as well. So I think I'll stop there. Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Gaines, for really highlighting the implications of the Affordable Care Act for people living with cancer and some of the issues and challenges. So thank you. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, our next speaker is Jane Levy. Uh, Jane Levy is an oncology social worker, and she is Director of Patient Assistance Programs at Cancer Care. Ms. Levy is going to address the cost of cancer, direct medical costs, related non-medical costs, daily living expenses, and what are patient assistance programs and how they help. It's now, now my pleasure to turn the program over to my colleague, uh, Jane Levy. Uh, thank you, Carolyn, and I'd like to... Thank all the participants. Uh, I'd like to expand on some of the remarks made by Dr. Gans that I think will be actually continued when uh, Dr. Palo speaks. I'm Jane Levy. I'm the Director of Patient Assistance uh, Programs at Cancer Care, and I know this is a topic of interest to you. Um, as Dr. Gans said, cancer is a very expensive illness, and financial concerns are pervasive, as well as a significant source of stress. However, having open communication about the cost of cancer can help you become better informed about your options, and you may actually be able to reduce the financial impact of your illness. When patients and families talk about the cost of cancer, they really fall into three areas of financial concern. Uh, one is uh, obviously direct medical expenses. Those are hospital and doctor bills, the cost of cancer drugs, and other medications and medication co-pays. And then, of course, there are all those related medical costs, most of them not covered by insurance, such as transportation, child care, many forms of home care, medical supplies over-the-counter medications, lodging, food supplements, and, of course, the cost of insurance itself. 
And then, of course, there are those expenses of daily living, which sometimes become a hardship when there is a cancer diagnosis. They could be rent, mortgage, utilities, and taxes. And I'm going to quickly try to address some of these areas. I'd like to give you some helpful hints and pointers. And when it comes to managing medical expenses, it, it pays to be informed and upfront. Number one, as, as, as it was said, understand your insurance policy so you are not blindsided by charges. And ask your insurance company if they can assign you a case manager to help you. Number two, keep a diary of all your expenses so you know exactly what's coming in and going out and you can catch billing errors. Number three, I can't underscore this enough, talk to your health care team as soon as possible about your financial situation. The two, uh, 2009 publication by the Society of Clinical Oncology on the cost of cancer made speaking to your oncologist and medical team about financial concerns no longer a taboo subject. Physicians and healthcare providers are more sensitive to cost, and they can connect you to people who know about such resources, such as social workers, financial coordinators, discharge planners, and resource specialists. These people can in turn direct you to organizations and entitlement programs that can help. And again, it is important not to delay when applying for any type of benefit as they take time to process. And if medical bills threaten to overwhelm you, the experts recommend that you speak up immediately as many settings may offer you a payment plan, may actually cut the charges, or have special funding. By all means, do not ignore bills, for once they go into collections, they are harder to resolve. I know this sounds like a tall order when you are sick, but there are many organizations that can help and can direct you to resources that can help. In your packet, you got a list of resources, and I'd like to point you to some of them that, actually, uh, that offer direct assistance to patients in either providing help or directing you to organizations that can help. On your list, they include Cancer Care, the American Cancer Society, CFAC, which is a coalition of organizations that provide financial assistance to cancer care and maintain a very good database of resources, as well as organizations such as LiveStrong. There are also resources to help you pay for your cancer medication. Aside from copay assistance, the pharmaceutical industry also provides free product for uninsured or underinsured patients, as well as reimbursement specialists that can help you navigate with your insurance company. I just want to briefly mention four types of patient assistance programs offered by pharmaceutical companies. They offer what they are all for patients on approved, uh, who are taking drugs with an improved in, approved indication, and also patients must meet certain financial criteria established by the program. Having said that, they include free drug for patients who are, have no insurance at all or may be severely underinsured. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies also offer copay card programs for spe uh, specific drugs. And these include not only cancer drugs, but the other types of medications that people take on a daily basis.
The pharmaceutical industry also has drug copayment assistance programs for privately insured patients taking specific medications, and there are disease-specific copayment assistance programs uh, administered by nonprofit organizations designed to assist insured patients with private or public insurance have better access to prescribed treatment. And if eligible, these foundations will assist the patient by working with his or her pharmacy or physician's office to pay the copay or coinsurance for any medication that is indicated to treat the diagnosis, regardless of the funding. I know this seems rather complex, but if you go to the CFAC website listed on your resource list, you will see a list of the copay foundations. Another good website is NeedyMeds, www.needymeds.org, and they have a list of all the uh, patient assistance programs, the copay card uh, programs, the free drug, as well as the specific pharmaceutical programs. Aside from getting help with medical expenses, people with cancer are very concerned about living expenses. One thing I'd like to let you know, it's important to let all your creditors know about your financial situation. You may be uh, surprised by the positive response from places like phone and utility companies who are willing to work with you before a crisis develops. Also, many voluntary and government organizations offer assistance with things like emergency assistance, eviction protection, rent assistance, food pro uh, programs, and property tax relief. You can find some of these programs on the resource list that I mentioned, as well as the United Way often has a 211 line in many communities that will link you up with entitlement specialists. Again, people also have trouble with some of the related expenses of cancer. I mentioned them, transportation, lodging, equipment, etc. Organizations like Cancer Care, the Leukemia Lymphoma Organization, the American Cancer Society, your area agency on aging, as well as organizations through your United Way often, help, often offer help in this area. To sum up, there are resources out there that may address many of the aspects of financial concern. So get informed, speak up, and ask for help. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jane. That really was an, a wonderful presentation and very informative. Lots of excellent resources for people and the concept of really speaking up and, and, uh, and getting help to speak up as well. Um, now, our next speaker is Dr. Uh, Lupe Palos. And Dr. Palos is, a, is she's actually her own healthcare team. She's a nurse, she's a social worker, and a doctor of public health. She's a clinical research manager, Division of Medical Affairs, Department of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas, MD Anderson. And Dr. Palos is going to address learning more about the Affordable Care Act, communicating with your healthcare team, and linking you to needed cancer resources, organizations, and information. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Palos. Thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to join this session. Our speakers have provided an excellent foundation to better understand the Affordable Care Act. This, uh, the ACA is a, is a significant concern for all listeners on this call, to you as a patient or survivor, to you as a caregiver, family member or friend, and to you as a health care provider. By participating in this call, you're already showing or demonstrating a desire to learn more about the ACA. This also means you plan to be a self-advocate 
or an advocate for a loved one, or an advocate for one of your patients, or an advocate for yourself. And interest, interestingly, despite the fact that ACS was introduced and signed by the President in 2010, it has only recently been upheld by the Supreme Court to move forward. So you can say it's sort of been in the dormant stage or the theoretical stage. So one of the biggest concerns for all of us is the fear and stress associated with the unknown. And for us, the unknown is how is the ACA going to be interpreted and how is it going to impact cancer care once we reach the implementation phase. However, we must remember that we can cope or deal with those concerns and the stress and the fears in different ways. Because of our time constraints, I'm going to focus on three simple steps that can increase your sense of empowerment and help you gain a stronger sense of control over this ACS and the impact that it can have on your life. First, continue to increase your knowledge in this area. By participating in educational programs and by so using social media avenues such as teleconferences, webinars, Twitter, Facebook, chat rooms, etc., it's possible to gain a better understanding of, of the Affordable Care Act. It's also beneficial to join support groups. Members may have their own knowledge, experience, and expertise about the Act, and some of the groups may even invite legal experts such as Dr. Horton or Ms. Wolf to speak on this topic. Second, and this is really critical, develop strong communication networks with your healthcare team. It helps to speak to different members of the team, such as the social worker, the case manager, patient navigators if appropriate, and all the other team members that um, Jane um, was able to talk about so eloquently. And we need to remember that you know we can talk to our, our provider or physicians, but not all oncologists or other health care providers will be as knowledgeable about the Affordable Care Act as what we heard from our Dr. Gantz. So it makes sense to establish networks with others who are more knowledgeable about the specific nuances of the act. And as health care providers, it's critical for us to communicate amongst ourselves so the same message or similar message is being delivered to the patient, the caregiver, and their family members. Third, identify outside resources, those that are on a local, state, or national level that may be able to provide additional information on the ACA. A good place to begin your searches with cancer care. You've already established a link, and it's good to just get more familiar with the services that they have. And then there's a wide spectrum of other services as described by um, Ms. Levy to address your basic uh, medical needs, um, your financial assistance needs, insurance needs, and even emotional needs. Other credible sources of information via the website are also available, and we heard Dr. Wolf talk uh, earlier about the healthcare.gov. That's an excellent website to go get information on the law, and it also has the Bill of Rights um, at that website. So I would strongly encourage um, folks to go there to get more information. And some we must all remember, everyone on this call, and most likely every child and adult in our nation, is going to be impacted in some manner by the Affordable Care Act. And it's our duty as patients, survivors, family members, and providers to become knowledgeable about the Act, skillful in operationalizing the Act when needed, and expert in blending the law, the rights, the health plans, and the ACA so that way we can deliver optimal care to the patients and survivors. I look forward to hearing your questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Palos. That was really excellent and really a call to action for everyone. And of course, you, of course, all of you on the call are, of course, interested to learn more about it. Here you are on the call. And to really try to get as much information as possible so you can be really informed consumers. That's really 
what we're hoping for by this offer, offering this program to begin that process. Now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. And I'm going to ask Stephanie to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. If we don't get to your question, please call Cancer Care at the end of the program at 1-800-813-HOPE. And I'll repeat that at the end of the program as well. So that, um, but let us now take as many of your questions as possible. Uh, Stephanie? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Karen D. Your line is open. Yes, thank you all. Uh, speakers, it was wonderful. Dr. Gantz, I have a question for you. You were saying that um, healthcare is going to be becoming more transparent. Uh, in my role as an oncology nurse navigator, I frequently meet patients who have low premium, high deductible. Uh, this is before a diagnosis of cancer, and this enables, uh, this actually prevents them from getting the needed definitive biopsy to confirm their diagnosis. My specific question is in terms of uh, right now, sometimes we're t uh, patients are actually dropping their coverage just to get onto breast and cervical cancer Medicaid. What about those patients before their diagnosis who are not, a fa um, who are not able to uh, get their biopsies covered? And then secondly, for Dr. Palos, uh, will breast and cervical cancer Medicaid cover male breast cancer in the future? Well, Karen, thank you for those two uh, excellent questions. Um, and I'm going to ask Dr. Gans to address them, and Dr. Palos, and I'm going to ask some of our other speakers perhaps to chime in as well. These are really good questions. Dr. Gans, sure. do you want to start? Sure. I, I think really we're dealing with the current situation, and we hope that the ACA will uh, change the situation so that people will not be in a situation where they have a high deductible plan, and uh, because of the defined benefit package and affordable insurance, we hope that will appear within the exchanges, people will not be in this catch-22 situation where they only have uh, emergency or urgent uh, high-risk uh, insurance that they can afford. So I, I think, you know, it's, it is difficult now for people who do not have good coverage, but I think the intent of the insurance care and reform that will occur will make better coverage available for such individuals. Thank you. And Dr. Palos, do you want to address this as well? I'll address the, the second part of her question about the breast and cervical cancer covering uh, male breast cancer. I think that was a very interesting um, question. I served on the Centers for Disease Control um, advisory committee when they were first uh, developing the program. And that was a very controversial issue that came up with a lot of debate on do we cover or do we not cover. Uh, male breast cancers. And the decision was made because the numbers are so low not to do that. Now, because of the Affordable Care Act, who, um, I'm not sure if that's going to be able to be covered differently. Um, so, And I'm not um, aware of any changes that have occurred to go ahead and, and provide that coverage. So maybe one of our other speakers have um, some knowledge about that particular aspect. It is not, I mean, men, men get breast cancers just like women do. But how, unfortunately, the decision was made not to cover them at that time. That's a very significant issue. Um, uh, Jane, do you want to comment on that? Um, I think that um, to really for pa um, pa 
patients who can't get coverage uh, to work, you know, really were the, the hospitals regarding charity care and some of the uh, nonprofit organizations that may be able to assist. So the male, male breast cancers. So there are a number of organizations. We would definitely encourage people to contact Cancer Care to see if our staff um, can assist with uh, that's a very important population to get assistance, certainly. And um, so a lot of the, some of the nonprofit organizations may be able to help guide someone in getting uh, more uh, extensive care. Okay, our next question. Our next question comes from Marcia R. Your line is open. Yes, Katie Horton mentioned the four goals of the ACA, and could she just repeat what the number three and four were, please? Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Sure. Hi. Um, the, the third goal was improving healthcare value and efficiency. Um, and, and with that, I mean moving and testing new models of care. Dr. Gans mentioned the um, accountable care organizations. That's one example um, uh, of that goal. Um, the, the fourth goal really is to strengthen primary care and prevention. And the law contains a number of provisions that it really give unprecedented funding to uh, looking at population health and community health and, and trying to, to restructure our system so we're not just um, dealing with a curative system, but one instead that focuses on prevention. There is a question from one of our online participants around preventive screenings with no copays. When is this effective for colorectal colonoscopy after age 50? And they're asking, is it in 2012 or 2013? Dr. Gans, are you? I don't know. Maybe Dr. Horton knows. Dr. Horton? Um, well, many, many plans currently are, um, are abiding by the no cost-sharing um, for these new preventive services. Um, the, the trick is, is that uh, preventive services, it's, it's too complicated to go into on this call, um, but they, what is covered by, um, uh, with no cost-sharing can change over time depending on, on a recommendation of a, of a body of people. Um, and uh, so you need to check frequently. Um, I have to go and check on the colonoscopy question specifically. I think the issue is you also may be in a grandfathered plan, so they may not cover it uh, without a copay. So, but I, I think there has been a trend among um, insurance companies to to come into line with what Medicare already pays for and these provisions. But again, you have to check your own policy. So we would encourage you to actually um, check with your healthcare uh, setting, your insurance. Um, the, insurance actually, the insurance The insurance policy. Policy. And as we conclude, just a general question to Dr. Horton. Um, actually, in terms of these questions that people have, so um, are you suggesting to go to healthcare.gov or are you suggesting that they work with the institution where they're being treated um, to advocate on their behalf? Could you just comment on that, just the actual, the, the, this time, at, the, at this time, to get those kinds of answers to those specific questions? I, I think it's all of the above. I think, you know, as, as other speakers have talked about, super important to educate yourself about your new rights um, under this new law, um, what, what you're entitled to under law now. Um, and to, the best way to do that is to really do some independent reading. Um, many, many good websites that we can send around that are credible that can help you 
uh, interpret the law for your particular case. Um, and then certainly, I, I mean, I, I, I think physicians and other providers are still, tr you know, trying to get up to speed on the actual provisions in the law themselves. But, but certainly to, to communicate openly and to ask questions, as, as other speakers have encouraged, um, uh, with your own, uh, where you're getting care, um, and with your own insurer, very important to do all of those things. And Dr. Palos, if you want to just repeat again your, your call to action kind of comment about this is something new, we have to learn about it, but do you want to just say a bit about that? Because it is hard to have the answers to all these questions and people need them often right away. Well, I agree. This is very complex. I mean, look at all of the, um, us as the speakers and some of the questions that you, that you ask. So there's not a recipe or one-shoe-fits-all recipe for, for this um, Affordable Care Act. So it really is our responsibility to become knowledgeable about that. And when I spoke about being experts, it's not so much experts in knowing all the nuances, the details, but in knowing that you can be as prepared as you can, that you're well prepared, and that you can go in there with some type of knowledge so you can ask the questions that need to be asked and get the answers that you need to go move forward. And Dr. Wolf, do you want to comment on that? Because I know you actively work with people who struggle with these issues. Um, anything you'd like to add to this discussion? Because they really are questions that are stumping everybody, and they're important to have answers to right away for many of the people on the call. Uh, the only thing that I can add is also as a resource not to forget your individual state insurance departments. They, until these consumer advocate programs are set up to answer questions, state insurance departments have been, are very knowledgeable, have been very open to talking to consumers, um, have websites with a lot of terrific information about the law and um, other resources that are available to help people navigate through the system and, and answer these, these very complicated questions. Thank you. I, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been amazing. And I want to thank all of you who have asked such great questions. Um, based on some of your questions today, we're going to be sending all of you some follow-up information and some follow-up resources for you to have because you've sparked some really great questions. You're a wonderful group. Um, I have said that we'll bring another program in actually 2014, in 2013 and so that there's more to come. Um, and so, but you will be getting something shortly from us with just some more resource information. Also, if you didn't get to ask your question, I know there are many of you who didn't, please do contact Cancer Care at 1-800-813-HOPE. Our staff are here to answer your questions and address your concerns. As we conclude, I would not want anyone to think that you're alone in dealing with these issues. Call Cancer Care. Our staff are here to help you. And I want to thank you all for participating, and I'm going to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect and have a wonderful day.